Hey there, and welcome to We Can Do This. This is Sean Pritzkow, and today I'm excited for our conversation with Connor Finlayson. Connor is the founder of The Unicorn Factory, which is a freelancer marketplace in Canada and New Zealand, built entirely with no-code tools. Connor also runs a YouTube channel where he teaches aspiring entrepreneurs how they can build their own online businesses using no-code. You may recognize Connor's name from episode 20 of this podcast, where Steven Johnson, the founder of Chive, discussed how Connor helped him and Alice launch their own MVP of Chive Charities. I've invited Connor on the podcast to share about his own journey building and running a marketplace on NoCode and the opportunities there are for others to launch impact-driven marketplaces or other online platforms utilizing NoCode tools. I really loved talking with Connor, so let's jump into this conversation with Connor Finlayson. All right. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today, I am here with Connor Finlayson. Connor is the founder of Unicorn Factory, a freelancer marketplace in Canada and New Zealand. And he also runs a YouTube channel where he teaches aspiring entrepreneurs how they can build their own online businesses with no code tools. So Connor, hey, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited you're here. I just saw you presenting on no code conference, Webflow's conference that they hosted last week. Loved your presentation. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was good fun. It was going to be in person, but because of the whole pandemic thing, they had to move it online. And yeah, it was really great. The part of my presentation was recorded. So it was actually quite cool to be able to see people in the chat and a lot of familiar faces, like a lot of people from the Unicorn Factory, a lot of people that I've seen on my YouTube channel who came in to support. So. It was really great and really appreciated it. I was really hoping to make it out to the conference myself. And I've watched and participated in so many like online summits. I have produced some in the past. And the conference like overall was just probably one of the best online things <laughs> I'd ever been a part of. One from just like aesthetic, visuals, audio programming was so good. But to keep my especially I think maybe my attention for two straight days and feel like I could have stuck around for a third was pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think a lot of people were quite disappointed that it had to be moved online because mm -hmm. two years ago they had that conference in San Francisco and that was amazing because meeting everyone in person is just mm -hmm. amazing. So when they had initially announced that it would be another in-person event, I think a lot of people were very excited and then having to shift it online kind of seemed like it's not going to be the same. But I actually must say that the entire experience kind of exceeded my expectations as well. Because before the conference even started, the FinSuite guys organized this gather town. And I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. It's a virtual world where you can kind of just like walk around. And whenever you move up to someone, their webcams open up and you can have conversations with them. And that was awesome because it kind of created that networking feeling that you get from going to conferences. So that gather town, as well as the conference platform that they use to host the actual conference made it a really, really great experience. Yeah, it was such a good time. And I mean, all the presentations were fantastic. First, thanks for being on the podcast today. The reason I wanted to really introduce 
you here is because of your work with the Unicorn Factory. For listeners, Unicorn Factory, and I'll let Connor really talk about it, is a freelancer marketplace that he's built primarily using no-code tools. And he's been able to run that in New Zealand. Now I understand it's in Canada. So yeah, share with us a little bit about you know, Unicorn Factory, what inspired you to get started and, and what that's been like. Yeah, so I started the Unicorn Factory in New Zealand probably about two and a half, three years ago. It's kind of been different things at different times. When I started freelancing myself, I needed to find clients. And for some reason, I thought, you know, instead of building a normal portfolio website like every other freelancer does, Mm -hmm. I could just create like a little online marketplace slash directory of New Zealand freelancers so that I can then give myself a little golden star, which would make me look (laughs) a lot more trustworthy, you know, kind of like that little Twitter verified badge for the unicorn factory. And there were a few reasons why I wanted to do it. First of all, I got quite inspired by Webflow Experts, which is basically the online marketplace for Webflow designers that were set up by Webflow and they built the entire thing in Webflow. And I had just really gotten into Webflow and seeing that you can actually do a lot more beyond just building nice marketing websites was really interesting to me. And so I kind of decided to rebuild aspects of Webflow experts for the co-working space that I was in at the time because I had friends in there who were freelancing as well. And I was like, hey, this is such a fun project to work on. And before you know it, it kind of got out of control. I got people in my co-working space to sign up. I started telling different businesses about the Unicorn Factory and we started getting inquiries. Not just me. I actually didn't get that many inquiries, despite the fact that I tried to stack it as much in my favor as possible. But a lot of the other people on the site started getting inquiries. And that then started creating a bit of word of mouth, which led to more freelancers asking me if they could sign up, more businesses using the platform. And most of the beginning was just built in Webflow. So I didn't use all the different tools that I'm using today. But as it started to grow, I started to run into little limitations of like, I can't manually manage all these things. And that kind of led to the discovery of all these other tools that allow you to do certain things. And now the Unicorn Factory has around 700 freelancers in New Zealand. We have heaps that come and go. So since we've started, we've had like thousands of freelancers on the site. We've worked with a lot of different businesses in New Zealand. And yeah, now I've also started it in New Zealand. And the entire platform is built with no-code tools. I primarily use Webflow to build the website side of things, Airtable, which is my database. And then I also use a range of automation tools to basically automate workflows that I would otherwise have to do manually. And yeah, it's been a great fun project to work on. Absolutely. Yeah. We talk to a lot of people that are in the social impact space that are looking to start up new ideas, new companies, new ventures. And with this idea that no code provides this opportunity to create some sort of minimum viable product that they can really get their idea started and maybe even build on top of that stack of tools, right? And so recently we had Steven Johnson on the podcast that you introduced me to, mm-hmm. um, who has built Chive charities with no code tools. And hearing yourself build this marketplace of using no code tools, really to connect people with freelancers. So one, there's like this opportunity that no code provides in the space, which I think is really, really cool. But also there are people in the space too that are actually using these tools to 
use them for good and social purpose. So I'm really excited to have you on the show today. And I'd love to kind of introduce this idea of even marketplaces, right? Because there's a lot of ways that marketplaces can be used for impact businesses. And Mm -hmm. hearing you share a little bit about how you built Unicorn Factory utilizing no-code tools, marketplaces are uniquely difficult, especially these two-sided marketplaces that provide kind of two audiences, right? Your primary customers, but also the people that might be selling these services to. It's a complex world, right? So I'd love for maybe you to share a little bit about how Maybe if there's people in the audience that are looking to build something similar, but for a very kind of different use case, how should they begin to look at their stack of tools, maybe how to select these tools and what are the the different kind of things they should be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I think when you think of marketplaces, there is a lot of complexity to it because obviously you're building a platform not just for one particular set of customers, you're also mm-hmm. building it for another set of customers and you essentially act as the intermediary. but You know, when I started the Unicorn Factory, I didn't actually think of it as a marketplace. Mm. I thought of it more as a phone book. And I thought Mm. that my job is to basically add people to the phone book and then make that phone book visible to people. And then suddenly you shift from it being a marketplace to simply being a directory. Mm. And building a directory is a lot more simple than building a marketplace. But a directory lays the foundations for what eventually Mm. becomes a marketplace. Mm. And so that was kind of my starting point. And if anyone is in a position where they want to create a marketplace or a directory for that matter, then what I think is the best starting point is actually just building the visual front inside of that experience for people so that you are immediately adding value Mm. to one side of the market. So with Chive, that Stephen and Alice worked on, their main goal was to make it easier for New Zealanders to find and support local charities. So you can pretty much immediately add value to those charities by listing their information on a website. Now, it doesn't have to be fancy, but a lot of these charities don't have the resources or the know-how to build their own websites. So even by just building a nice landing page for the charity, basically added immediate value. And then over time, you'll start to generate traction around your website and that will then expose certain use cases or certain problems that you can then address. The way that my journey with NoCode Tools evolved over time was my initial goal was let's find work. (laughs) That was my top priority. So just a simple profile page about myself, my friends who were also freelancing, is what did the job. And they actually did the job for six months. Then I came across the problem of more and more people were signing up. Everyone's information is all over the place. I need to find a way to basically keep everything in order. And that is kind of where Airtable came into the mix. And so before I added Airtable to my stack of no code tools, I actually just kept track of it inside of Webflow. Then, obviously, as it grew even further, a lot of the things that I was doing manually was becoming too time-consuming, and I couldn't keep up with it anymore. So that's when Zapier came into the mix, which was the automation tool. So where I'm trying to go with this is that when you are considering what kind of tools you should use for your project, you're better off starting with one tool, solving a particular use case, 
and then adding new tools as you are exposed to more issues that need to be solved. And the main benefit that you'll get from that is that it won't overwhelm you because that is oftentimes what I feel people trip up on before they even get started, which is what tools, how do I build this and that feature? And I feel like just solving one issue at a time will put you in a position where you'll get a better understanding of the tools that you're using and it will be easier for you to find more tools that are fit for the purpose you're trying to solve for. That's really good. You often hear people talk about minimum viable products and how they're often not very minimal. <laughs> and I loved when we had Steven on, he talked about how the MVP of Chive really, I think he said it didn't do everything he wanted to, but it did it everything he needed it to, which was what really made it stand out, right? And once you build, you start getting your hands into every feature, it can be incredibly overwhelming and maybe it might do three things okay, but not one thing well. Yeah, when I met Stephen and Alice, and they kind of gave me the rundown of what it is that they wanted to achieve. I think before the no-code world came along, you would kind of have to list everything that you wanted because <laughs> that is basically how working with software developer would work. You would mm -hmm. give them a scope of work. You would include all of the different things that you want, mm -hmm. and then that is the deliverable. Mm -hmm. And that meant that there is no concept of a minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. when outsourcing that type of work to people. Mm -hmm. Like you can't be as agile and as nimble when you're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars per hour to a developer. Mm -hmm. And so I think that now that these no-code tools are getting better, more and more are being added, we're basically putting ourselves in a position where we fundamentally like change how we approach building platforms and we can actually build MVPs, you know, with barely any features. So when I met Steven and Alice, they wanted to have an analytics dashboard. They wanted to have a whole bunch of different things, which is what people usually want. It's quite a thought out product. It's kind of what they envision. But we kind of just took a step back and we broke down this big product vision into 10 little projects. And we just approached the first one. Once that was done, we moved on to the next one. And now they're moving more and more towards what they had envisioned mm -hmm. when they started. But in the meantime, they have managed to find a whole bunch of charities that have signed up. They've been getting a whole bunch of new donors. And I think aspects of their platform has also gone into directions that they may not have anticipated in the first place. Mm -hmm. So they were great to like work with because they kind of came to the realization that this is what you can kind of shift your thinking Mm -hmm. with no-code tools, and that's why they're doing so well. So we sort of shared a little bit about this idea of the MVP creation process. Mm -hmm. And so if we wanted to maybe take it a step further and begin to, once you have that MVP, let's say when you had the MVP of Unicorn Factory, how mm -hmm. did you begin to navigate those decisions about what to iterate, when to iterate on those things as you were kind of beginning to kind of take it a step further? I actually did the Unicorn Factory as like a side project more than like my main thing. I was still freelancing. I had just finished working in a startup and I pretty much burnt myself out and I got like nothing out of it financially. So as soon as that was done, I was like, I am going to focus on freelancing and my top priority is going to be to make money. So the Unicorn Factory was a side project. Even today, I'm still kind of like, I don't look at the Unicorn Factory as like my main thing. I feel like it's a component of my professional 
life, yeah. I think. Yeah. So that kind of made me be very careful about how I make changes to the product. Hmm. And because I didn't want the product development side of things to interfere with my freelancing work, hmm. which took priority at the time. Mm-hmm. So I very early on established that I would only add something if I felt like one, it would help freelancers get more work, which is my most important metric on the Unicorn mm-hmm. Factory. Like if I can get them more work, that's why the Unicorn Factory exists. Then right. I'm going to do it. Number two, it saves me time. So if me setting up a certain feature means that I have to do less manual work, then I'm going to do it because I know long-term that's going to pay off big time mm-hmm. or it's going to generate more revenue for the business, which ultimately then in turn leads to me being able to get more work for freelancers because the majority of our work comes through paid advertising. So I basically had those three points as kind of like a reference points on whether or not I should build something. Mm-hmm. And I was just ruthless about it. And I was honest with myself about it as well. I was kind of like, if there would be like a feature that I thought, oh, that would be cool. I would just ask myself, is this going to help freelancers get more work? No. Is this going to save me more time? Not that much. (laughs) Is it going to make me more money? No. And then you just dump it. You move on. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is it's really important to be pretty clear with kind of the strategy behind what you're doing and know what is the main, maybe core metric, like you said, Mm-hmm. of your platform or what you're building and kind of use that as a litmus test for I'm going to pour more energy, pour more time, pour more work, pour more money yep. into building this. Is it helping me increase that, maybe that core metric? And then I love the efficiency piece as well. Like if this is going to save me more time and that will kind of compound over time, mm-hmm. yes, that might be worth putting in some more time and energy and iterating. Another side benefit of taking an approach like that is you build way less than you think you would initially. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes when you have, if you make something like your main thing, you've got a lot of time to think about how you can constantly make improvements to things. And a lot of the product improvements are based on what you think is going to work, not what anyone has ever told you is going to work. It's kind of just like dream features. And I used to build products and features like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this would be cool. I think people would like that. But until people actually are, telling you that they want it or that they need it. You're fooling (laughs) yourself, really. Right. And what I have found over time is that even though it's built on no-code tools and no-code tools have a reputation for kind of being not as scalable, which is incorrect, but that's a different story. It's been so easy for me to manage the platform and make improvements to it without breaking a whole bunch of things. Mm -hmm. And there was a, I think I saw this saying like, few months ago that was simple scales fancy fails mm-hmm. and i feel like that should be like that should be like the motto of the no code world <laughs> because that is kind of how i now approach building things it's kind of like just keep things simple don't overcomplicate things because as soon as you overcomplicate things things break and then it's over yeah really related to that i think in the space no code really provides this opportunity to really get your hands in the product itself and be the one building it opposed to learning and and figuring out how to communicate what you want and communicating that to someone else who's going to be building your product. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead, you're doing it yourself, right? Which provides a lot of benefits. What would you say, uh, and this is probably different for different people, but 
What would you say is maybe the signs that when you're building your own product as a founder, but also as like this no code builder, right? Mm -hmm. And you're using these tools. Are there signs where you think it's important that maybe those founders consider bringing on a freelancer to help them roll out these no code tools or maybe hire an agency that has experience in helping build these platforms? When is it right to like maybe take your hands a little bit off the product now that you've built it, it's beginning to scale and bring on other people to kind of help? I mean, I think, again, it comes back to some of the key points that I made before when considering building a feature. It's like, mm-hmm. I think that probably the most important one is that will this save you time? Mm-hmm. You know, like people sometimes just want to like build a business. They want to solve a problem, you know? And so like, if you go through the process of learning everything yourself, then that's going to take time. There's a learning curve involved with learning all the different tools. Mm -hmm. And so if like your long-term goal is not to become like a no-code person, Mm -hmm. then it might make sense to make that investment. But I think with that being said, I think the thing that's so great about the no-code space is that it mostly appeals to people who are just getting started and might not have the funds to invest in hiring someone. Mm -hmm. So you can get started. But then as soon as you reach a point where you make enough money that you can potentially bring someone on and you can bring them on and again you can get usually the quality of the work is a bit better you get things done faster that's at least the experiences that i've made i as soon as i got to the point where the uniform factory was making a decent amount of money i would just reinvest that money into bringing webflow developers on to help me refine the platform so like the first version of the uniform factory looked very very average (laughs) and then i hired a Webflow developer and designer from the Unicorn Factory. He came on. He made some like visual changes to the site, and that led to more conversions. More people mm-hmm. visited the website. More people got in touch with the different freelancers. The UX made a lot more sense. And so again, it came back to it made generated more leads for freelancers. Mm-hmm. It made the business more revenue, and I didn't have to go through the process of learning web design or UX and all those Mm -hmm. types of things. So if you are in a position where you can invest in certain aspects of your business, then I definitely think it's worth doing because Mm -hmm. you'll just get to where you want to go faster. I think another thing is, is like if you have gone through the process of building aspects of the business first, then it will be so much easier for you to communicate with the people that you're hiring in terms of what you want, what your expectations are, and all mm-hmm. those types of things. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm really happy that I had to go through the process of learning everything first before hiring people, because that's made me a way better communicator when I have hired people. Yeah, 100%. Especially if, you know, this freelancer or maybe this agency or whatever is, you know, getting to jump in and build on maybe what you've already started. There's a whole lot of benefit to understanding the structure and the tool set and the stack that you've already kind of been involved with so Mm -hmm. that one, you can communicate better, but two, you actually like understand. I mean, if you don't have software knowledge and you're communicating with a software developer, not just even on uh, design and and features, but also like the actual tool itself, like it's it's nearly impossible. You're not even speaking the right language. But uh, if, if you've begun to build your own product and you can speak the language a bit, so now that you're actually communicating uh, mm-hmm. with someone who's maybe working in the no-code space as a, a freelancer or a developer, you can speak the same language, which I think is a really cool benefit of these tools too. 100%. Well, cool. Well, as we start to wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share about before we close? No, I mean, like, obviously, 
I think a lot of your audience are social entrepreneurs. So, I mean, I think that that is going to be a space that is very much going to benefit from no-code tools. I think one of the things that no-code tools have done that I think is really creating a lot of opportunities for people is that in the past, if you wanted to build something like the Unicorn Factory or build something like Chive, you would have to make a huge investment in order to make that happen. There's just no way around it. It was just like going to cost heaps of money. And that meant that in order for you to justify the costs, you would have to tackle problems on a global scale. But those costs are now gone, which means that if you want to get started and have like an immediate impact on, say, your local community, then that is now possible. So what I think we're going to see, not just in the social entrepreneurship space, just in entrepreneurship and like the maker world in general, is that there are going to be a lot more opportunities to build localized versions of certain platforms for example airbnb there'll be like a localized version of that or like fiverr or upwork which essentially is like the unicorn factory just a localized version of it, you know and so i kind of feel like that is a huge opportunity that i think people should take advantage of because it makes a big difference to like a lot of people i know like the work that steven and alice have done has been like huge for like charities in new zealand yeah and there is nothing out there that currently can do that for that group of charities specifically. So I think they're like good opportunities and I definitely encourage yeah. anyone to look into it. Yeah, I think there's things that I think just should exist, right? Like there's always these things you think of like that should exist. That should be a thing. And exactly like you're saying, some of those things just didn't make sense because the investment was too large for maybe the revenue that that would generate, for example. And exactly. these tools are shifting that paradigm quite a bit. And it's a really exciting time to, to see and be in. Well, thanks so much for lending your time today and joining me on the podcast. And you've been generous with uh, what you've shared today. I'll include links to the Unicorn Factory in, in your work and the show notes. And we talked a bunch about Chive as well. From So I'll include Chive as well. If if people just want to maybe even look at some of these links and see what people have built utilizing no-code tools, I think one, just being a user on these websites and experiencing what people are building can be really, really inspiring. So definitely check out the links that are in the show notes and we'll include everything there. But again, Connor, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great fun. All right. I hope you liked that conversation with Connor Finlayson. I know I really enjoyed talking to Connor. And it's really wild the opportunity there is to start and build a marketplace similar to Unicorn Factory and do so as a solo founder without having to hire a team of developers. Your operating costs are relatively low with these platforms and you can build and run these and even maintain other projects on top of it if you wish. So if you found this interesting, I've loaded the show notes with all the links that we talked about in this episode. And I want to let you know that Connor also offers a course that he teaches people to build marketplaces on no code, where he guides you in creating marketplaces utilizing no code tools. So if you're interested, definitely check that out in the show notes. But again, thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.